This is the Band School Podcast, where we talk about business adventure and mission with your host, Buddy Rathmel. Apologies for uh, different audio from this part and the rest of the podcast. The beginning of the audio didn't come through in my interview with Bonnie. Actually, just my intro. So today, my interview is with Bonnie Truex. She is a classmate and friend of mine from university days. We um, attended Summit University in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. And um, she has been slow traveling the world for the last five um, years. I don't know if we get into it in this podcast, but if you check out her blog, you can see her really slow journey when she tried to get back into America during COVID, um, flying around the world for five days uh, before eventually ending up in America. But it's a really fun podcast. Um, Bonnie retired at the age of 43, and hence the name of her blog, 43 Blue Doors. So Bonnie, as we get started, tell us why the 43 Blue Doors. For lack of something more ingenious. (laughs) Now, everyone kept asking us, how did you retire at the age of 43? And my husband always said, well, we drove a beige car with a blue door. So it was about having things that... We spent on what was meaningful, but we didn't care about the cars, so we didn't spend a lot on cars. We just so we just saved up. We had good jobs. We saved up, and um, the blue door was part of how we retired early. So that became the name of the blog. Cool. Since then, it's more about choosing good opportunities, choosing wisely um, for better opportunities, yeah. things like that. Cool. So. I've I've been listening to one of my daughter's playlists on Spotify, and there's a song in there about i spend my money on memories i don't even know the name of the song but i just yeah that's cool i like that phrase of spending your money on memories and things that you're gonna have um like that rather than a matching beige door for your beige car so (laughs) that's right that's cool i love it so when did the desire for adventure start in you i think when i was born (laughs) I've always been very, very curious, uh, always wanted to see more, do more. As a kid, my dream, and I thought it was far-fetched, was to see all 50 states. Wow. Um, I didn't even know if I would achieve that, but that was my big, massive dream. Uh, now, I, oh, in a few you? months, I'll see my... I have one state left. Which is? Idaho, and we are going to see that in a couple months. Sweet. Uh, we have it on our list. And I never dreamed of traveling the world like this. So it's, we're loving it. That is really cool. I hit my 50th state when I was 26. Nice. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I don't know. At some point I was like, yeah, it'd be fun to visit all 50 states. And um, so I really only had to work for six of them, but I kind of worked them, you know, worked them into life. Do you have a countdown on how many of them you hitchhiked through? Um, so I think, uh, I don't, but when I got done hitchhiking between what my family had taken me on and when I hitchhiked, I'd hit like, you know, 40 at that point. So <laughs> nice. cause I took two different routes across America and zigzagged around. So, yeah. So what's been your favorite adventure? Oh. Or give us, or your top two or three, if it's too hard to pick a favorite. I, it's, there are just so many. Um, 
just things that I never dreamed of being able to do was like going to Antarctica. Yeah. It was just unbelievable. Uh, it's the air is so pristine and so I it just and we stopped on the way down in South Georgia, which is far, as far from anything as you can get. And no people live there, but there's thousands of penguins and sea lions. And to stand next to this massive colony of penguins just trumpeting and this glacier behind them, it was it was unreal. So that, that would be a big one. But it was always my dream to explore Australia, too, and just camping in the outback with nothing around except for the dingoes and, you know, whatever. That was really cool, too. Yeah. So. I think that would be... Um... Yeah, a dream. So tell us a little bit about how you did Australia. So we had been backpacking our first couple of years. So we upgraded when we went to Australia and bought a small bus. <laughs> it's a Toyota Coaster. They don't have them here in the States, but they're like a 22-passenger bus that someone had converted. So we had a full house. We had our bed, kitchen, bathroom, shower, everything everything we needed. So we bought that when we got there and we lived in that as we did the whole loop uh, around the continent. We even went down into the center to see Uluru and we sold it before we left, but it was a huge upgrade from backpacking and we loved it. So just today I was talking to uh, a friend of mine and she said she's looking to get a a Sprinter van and convert it and thinking about having her own house wherever she goes. So tell us the goods and the bads of actually living in a van for that length of time or a bus. So the Sprinter van is actually a good comparison because the Toyota Coaster is six meters and that's the length of a Sprinter van. The difference is the first part of the Sprinter van is the engine, whereas the Coaster, the engine's like you're sitting on it. So you get just a little extra space. So the great thing about it being small is we could still fit in a regular size parking lot and in a, in a car spot. So it made it super easy to get around, uh, save on fuel, but it was big enough that we could stand up inside, walk around, um, we could cook inside, we could cook outside. Um, so it was nice having everything with us as we traveled. You drive along and then you just pull off the road into the outback and park in your home. So that was the good part. The, trying to think of the negative. We had so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it is a small space. Um, we did get stuck in it when everything locked down for COVID and it was only 118 square feet. Um, but we ended up parking in a spot where we had the whole outdoors. So we opened up the awning and doubled the size and I didn't even feel cramped with, with parking for two months for COVID. Um, yeah. What's the bad part? Yeah. I don't, I I don't know. We just loved it. Yeah. That's great. (laughs) I think a little bit, um, sometimes people say like if you're traveling, quicker, like finding a place to park or, um, you know, cleaning out the septic system if you have gray or black water or whatever. But yeah, I love, in fact, I just went to see my daughter in Mississippi and um, I have a new car and not new, new to me and the seat lays way down. So I ended up sleeping in the car on the way down and the way back, mostly because of my friend, Mike 
who likes adventures. I haven't slept in my car in probably 20 years, but I was just like, yeah, yeah, why not? It's more of an adventure, you know? So I, I joined all the cars behind uh, Cracker Barrel here in America and slept with them. Well, one good thing, yeah, you do have to figure out where you're parking every night, but there are so many free places to park in Australia. Yeah. I think out of the 17 months, we paid for five times. Yeah. Ten times, maybe. Um, and, yeah, the septic wasn't so fun, but my husband did that, so <laughs> I can't complain. <laughs> it, was, it was just all uh, rainbows and sunshine for you living in the box. <laughs> No, I'm trying to think. It's fine. I, I mean, know. that's. I mean, things happen. Yeah. And not everything was perfect. Right. But it just felt like it was such a minor, you know, thing. Yeah. Like, you forget about it. Cool. Well, let's go back to uh, the 43. And when did you have the vision of retiring at 43? Or how did that come about? Um, I first started thinking about it when I was 43. <laughs> Um, I think my husband thought about it sooner. Um, I was raised to think that you work until you cannot work anymore. You work until you die if you can. And that was always my thought. You know, you go on vacation, but you work until you die. Um, but I was taught to save. So even, you know, I, I started out, you know, my family was poverty level and when I met Trin, I had zero and he had just migrated to the United States with a suitcase and a hundred bucks. So we both had nothing, but we both saved and we had a lot of fun. We did things we enjoyed, but we had good jobs and just, I, maybe I think part of it, we didn't know what to do with money. So we just saved it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and by the time we'd been there a number of years, he was like, you know, we don't have to always do this. I think he read the four hour work week. And, um, so, uh, maybe a year before he said something and six months later he said something and basically he said, well, if we retire in Ecuador, then it won't cost as much. We can retire earlier. So we thought, well, let's go to Ecuador and check it out. Cause we'd never been while we're there. Let's check out South America while we're doing that, why don't we just check out the world and then decide where to retire? So we're still checking out the world. <laughs> cool. So if you had to pick in uh, 2021 when we're recording this, where would you retire right now? I don't know. We talked about Medellin, Colombia, um, but, uh, you know, we're not big on cities. If we had to pick a city, that's a good one. Rio was gorgeous, but probably wouldn't, uh, the, you know, theft rate, whatever we loved. We absolutely love Brazil, but I'd like something English speaking. Cause I, my husband, excellent languages, um, me not so good. <laughs> um, we don't know yet. Okay. We're, we still have continents to get to, to figure that out. Yeah. And so, um, after, <clears throat> Okay, and so after you uh, COVID goes away, where are you planning on traveling to next? Europe. Okay, cool. And how will you? What will you buy? Something you don't know. Don't know yet. We'll see, see when it comes. <laughs> we'll have to have you on well, next year to find out how you did Europe. Exactly. We try to figure out what's best for the continent. 
Um, South America was absolutely the best backpacking. It was probably the safest, safe, uh, the most safe way to travel and also the easiest. For Australia, obviously, you need your own wheels. Um, Europe, they've got a good rail system. Um, so we don't know yet. We're still doing our research. We'll figure that we might change our minds when we get there, too, and change it up. Okay. So actually, going back to then, how were you able to afford to retire at 43? Um, how did that take place? So um, we had saved up. We saved up quite a bit. And... Um, we always put as much as we could into our retirement accounts. And then we started having like extra money in our regular accounts and it was getting to be a, too much to just sit there and do nothing with. So we started investing in real estate, doing um, rental properties. We started by just buying foreclosures. And on the weekends, he and I would go over and do all the work ourselves to fix it up, take down popcorn ceilings, replace water heaters, subflooring, whatever needed to be done. So he and I basically fixed most of them up. So we started doing that and renting them out. Um, when we were 43, the company that we worked for, and I loved my career, I loved what I was doing, but the company changed a lot and it became a very toxic environment. And you know, bosses says, oh, I'm going to kill you all. I'm going to put you in a room and shoot you. You know, he's not only going to kill us, he describes how he's going to do it. I'm like, yeah, this isn't fun anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so we decided we are going to do something different. So both of us decided we're going to find something else. And it was my husband's idea to travel a year first. So we sat down to look at the books, look at the money and decided we don't have to just do it a year. We can just retire. We don't need to go back to work. We went to a financial advisor and showed him our books and said, are we crazy? And he goes, no, do it. Cool. So we just said, sayonara to our jobs, sold our house, everything in it, and took our backpacks to one-way trip to South America and backpacked our way all the way down. That's great. Yeah, I think that um, when you're willing to live, like you you talked at one point about someone that was like, how, how did you do that? You know, that's amazing. And they were making choices right then that were like, you know, a hundred percent of their income. And so there's never this money for the future, you know, and yeah, discipline with finances opens a lot of doors in the future when, opportunity. you know, you want to, you want to do something else, you know, so blue doors of opportunity. Yes. <laughs> to, to choose those. It's the freedom it gives you. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm in a lot of forums where, a lot of people are striving for early retirement and it's like their whole goal. Yeah. And I would actually advise don't even make retirement a goal, make financial independence a goal, you know, save up so that you have the freedom to do whatever opportunity comes your way. I was talking to somebody just the other day who he had saved up enough and he got this dream job opportunity that he didn't need, but it's something he wanted to do. Yeah. And because he was totally financial independent, he could take it. Yeah. And he had a total negotiation power because he didn't need it. Yeah. So it gives us freedom in negotiation, freedom to take opportunities that come our way that if we're living above our means, you're kind of stuck. Yeah. And it's even hard to, you know, make small changes when you're that stuck. So the more cushion you can build 
between what you earn and what you spend, um, the more freedom you have and the more money you can save. Because if you can buy cash for a car instead of paying interest on it, which usually the interest is terrible, you've almost saved up enough to buy your next car by the time that one goes done, gone, goes bad, yeah. dies, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so just build for freedom. Yeah. Um, and, and actually that's what I blog about too, is it's about freedom, not just in our finances, but in the way we think, um, you know, another piece of advice is know how much is enough. Um, in our consumer society, there's never enough. Yeah. Um, knowing what actually truly you need versus what you want. Yeah. And that builds you freedom too. Cause, um, when you realize how little you need and how much enjoyment you can get out of those little pieces, you don't need the five-star resort. Yeah. And we don't like five-star resorts. They're the same everywhere in the world. Why travel to go to one of those? Yeah. It's the same. <laughs> I always, you know, sometimes we've gotten, we've had friends or we've gotten deals where at five-star resorts, but then it's like, you sit down at the restaurant and you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's, it's like, crazy. it's totally not worth it. You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Even, I mean, in, I mean, in some places like in Cambodia, it might be worth springing the 80 bucks to stay at a five-star resort. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. But we, I remember one time we, we were staying at a place in Cambodia and it, we actually got a deal 50 bucks for our family at, at this five-star resort, nice saltwater pool. And, um, but then like, I can't remember what breakfast was, but it was something like 20 bucks a person. I'm like, it's going to be more for breakfast than it was to stay here. And so, um, I actually kind of like when I'm on vacation just to go to a restaurant anyway, somewhere out and about. But so that mindset of freedom, what are some of the what are some of the things where, where you feel like people are locked into something and they can't get that mindset that, that allows them to, to choose freedom? It's, and it's difficult in our society when our society tells you that you need X, Y, and Z. And, and really that particular one, knowing your purpose and is what you're, doing, fulfilling your purpose. And two, what do you truly need? Um, and, and I would say this is a little different, but back to the prior question or prior advice is we never look at things. Can I afford it? We look at things. Do I want to spend that much on it? Yeah. And it's a totally different question. Um, when we, when I went to Antarctica, it was expensive. And I was willing to spend that much on it because it was the trip of a lifetime. Whereas a five-star resort, I loved them when the company was paying for them, but I wouldn't, I'm not willing to pay that myself to sleep in a fancy room. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think knowing what we truly need and knowing how it fits into our, our purpose, like what do we truly want to be? What do you want on your gravestone when you die? Yeah that you had a mansion or that you lived a full life. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I was thinking about it. I, I really, I'm huge into freedom, love the idea of freedom, have yeah, um, you are. <laughs> most of my life. If I've had a boss, he's been on a different continent and, um, you know, I just, I, I like that freedom, but I actually am hoping. So 
I'm I want to work till I'm 77. That's kind of my goal and desire. So I'm like I've got a 30 year project that I'm starting this year, and but I still want to have a lot of freedom in that. I want some financial freedom. I want time freedom and um, and then just autonomy on how you know I'm operating this project and those kind of things. Um, but it's it's always interesting to me how people often lack agency like they don't know that they can do something and i don't even know what it is but if they would just step back and go could i do this and there's an interesting study that some design the design guys of stanford university the design school there they wrote a book called designing your life and one of the things they found is that people that actually thought about what they wanted and how to get it which seems like I don't know, like that's just breathing to me. <laughs> like, what do I want? How do I get it? But I guess that is actually not normal in America. Like it's not something mm -hmm. that people do. They might think about what they want, but they don't think of like, how do I actually, you know, A, B, C and get to this place. Um, but the reality is so much, we have so much more agency over our lives than we think about. Um, and. I find myself getting stuck too, where I have to be like, Hey, I teach others that you have the option for this. How do you make it happen? You know, and there are generally ways to do that. So, yeah. Well, I like to liken it to a farmer. Um, if you have a piece of land and you sit there and hope to have a crop someday, and that's all you do is sit there and hope, then you're never going to have a crop. But if you go out and actually plow the field, sow the seed, and work hard, sure, you don't control the rain, you don't control the storms or the drought, but if you never plant the seed, you're never going to get anywhere. Yeah, that's And great. farmers are farmers because it pays out enough, often enough, <laughs> that that's why they keep doing it. Yeah. So you have to put in the hard work or you never get there. Yeah. What are some other principles that, that guide you as you live your life of freedom and adventure? Um, one, I've always wanted to be doing something to help others. And one of the reasons why I was ready to leave the jobs that we were in is it, it, the, the, um, it had grown so toxic and so political that it wasn't about helping each other, helping the other organization. It was about each person was trying to scheme their way to build their own like little kingdoms. And I'm like, I'm not helping anybody here. It's, yeah. you know, so that enabled me to leave there because I didn't feel like I was helping anybody anymore. Yeah. And so when we left, um, I thought, well, you know, let's volunteer in each of these countries that we go to. And it, it started out that we had, we had a number of volunteer and it wasn't until we left that I found my love for writing. And so for me, um, writing is how I help people. The, the best compliment that I get, the best thing that I get is when I get those emails saying, I sold off all my stuff and I'm feeling more free or you know, I'm inspired to save more money or I'm inspired to do something. That's what I want to do. Yeah. And so seeing beautiful places just gives me something to write about. But 
I think that that's one of the things that drives me is as long as I have a way to contribute and be of use to others, um, kind of give people a little bit of salt of curiosity to try something new or think a little differently. That's, that's my aim. That's cool. Well, and that's actually how we reconnected because you saw that I was needing help to fund a girl who survived from trafficking and she was in, you know, yeah. her fourth year of university and you're like, Hey, that's part of what we want to be about at 43 blue doors. And, um, and so you guys funded her, you know, fourth year. And it's like, that's huge. You know, it's, it's a life transformational thing for her to be able to get her degree and go on. And, um, so yeah, love, love that you're thinking about how you can help others as you go through this. Like I, I actually, um, yeah, that's one thing for me too. I was actually driving in my car yesterday thinking I'd love to help someone and uh, on to break up this six hour journey. And, um, I drove by a broken down car and I, as I drove by, I was like, wait, that was probably where I could have helped someone. <laughs> I had to go to the next exit, next exit, come back. And, um, and it was fun. The person, you know, like couldn't get the car started, but just like someone there to kind of like help them and, um, make the phone calls and do some of the different things to help them get on the way, you know, but I think that, um, I, I think that that is hopefully something that's coming back into vogue a little bit is, is not just like, how do I get this stuff or even how do I have these experiences, but how do I help others and make their lives better? How do I, how am I a blessing to others? Um, what are those things that I can do to make, the lives of others better so that's so cool that that's part of what you're doing with your writing and using your gifts and 40 your platform of 43 blue doors to help others um have those things so that's that's really cool um we talked a little bit about personal agency um how has that concept influenced you besides traveling the world are there other ways that realizing you have agency over your life that you've yeah, even when um, I was a kid, and one of the places we lived was this little town of thirty-five people. Wow. Um, we yeah, people tell me they grew up in a small town. I'm like, how small? <laughs> I got you beat. And yeah, so, uh, but we, uh, our family didn't earn much, but we grew a garden. We went into the mountains to pick berries. We went hunting for our meat. We lived off the land. And while there wasn't much money coming in, we, if there was something I wanted, I had to go out in the woods and figure out how to make it. Yeah. <laughs> and that helped me to, um, there's, there's always a way. And I was also taught, um, you know, to, to earn and work hard and, so I started when I was 14, um, doing whatever odd job I could find, whether it was mowing lawns, I started a cake decorating business and I was determined to get out of college debt-free. Cool. And so just having learned that I could work for it and basically it was drilled into me that America is the land of opportunity. And if you work hard for it, you know, you can change the situation you're in. Yeah. So I think in that sense, uh, I was always taught to work hard. And so it, it kind of progressed from there. Yeah. And... That's great. 
So what kind of legacy would you like to leave behind with your life? Um, I would want people to look at the life and, you know, it's funny. I just talked to my nieces. We were going up to the Grand Canyon recently and they said, what do you want on your tombstone? <laughs> and I, I guess I would want to be known, um, for, for loving people. Um, you know, everybody's different. We all have different baggage and backgrounds and, um, just, I guess, known for that, for loving people, the cultures, the, the, the beautiful, amazing scenery around the world, and hopefully sharing that with others, that they saw a little beauty of the world from, from our eyes. Yeah, that's really cool. That, I actually talked to a friend that we went to college with, Matt Molesky, this weekend, and one of the things that he used to say 25 years ago was, um, I'm not going to pick a political party and I'm, I'm never going to talk about that because half, half of the population is immediately going to hate me, which 25 yes. years ago didn't seem like a big deal, but now it's like, wow, he was wise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He doesn't have that automatic separation from others, but yeah, yeah, I think it's a really, that's such a great legacy to be known as someone who is, um, loving others and yeah, what a, what a cool goal to be striving for with your life. Well, Bonnie, thank you so much for uh, sharing with our listeners today. Where can they find out more about you or um, follow your writings? So we're at 43bluedoors.com. Um, we're also 43bluedoors on Facebook, Instagram, um, Twitter, but primarily most of our writing is at the website 43bluedoors.com. So go there, sign up, and I'd love to hear from readers. So if you sign up, send uh, you'll get a little welcome email that you can respond to. Tell me about uh, yourself because I love to hear from people. So Cool. All right. Well, until next time, listeners, be adventurous, and hopefully you learned a little bit more today about how to do that in your own life. Thank you, buddy. It's always good talking to you. Bam School facilitating a global self-funding disciple-making movement through business. Thanks for tuning in to the BAM School Podcast. Find show notes, free courses, resources, and more at 4BAM.com.